Welcome to the Marigold Teachers podcast. We're back with more ideas to help teachers like you embrace well-being, kick emotional exhaustion to the curb, and thrive professionally and personally. That's right. You can think of us as your posy of perfection. Oh, I love that. Just skip them all up. Little bit of perfection. Oh, beautiful. I'm Rebecca. And I'm David. We are teachers. We're coaches, we're creators with over 25 years between us in the classroom. So we definitely know what it's like to experience the ups and downs of teaching. In this episode, we're looking at how teachers feel when they think their passion for teaching has disappeared a little bit. Sharing our experiences and offering you some strategies to get your mojo back to realise why you love teaching in the first place. All right, I'm looking forward to this. Let's jump in. So today we're having a little chat about what it feels like when you just think your mojo might have disappeared. That can happen for lots of different reasons. And it's really difficult to notice it sometimes until you think it's really disappeared and gone, whether that's through what's going on in your classroom day to day, or maybe it's outside your classroom, but still within the school or within your management structure. Lots of things can contribute to why people feel like they don't want to be a teacher anymore. It's really difficult when you have thought about being a teacher, lots of us, for a lot of our lives. We're trying to move away from teaching being a lifestyle, but it definitely is something that when you want to be one, you definitely think you're going to probably be one forever. David, have you ever had a moment where you think your mojo might have just disappeared? Uh, Yeah, about a decade's worth, probably, (laughs) rather than just a moment. I think it's because you give and you give and you give as a teacher. There's so much scope to give of your energies and your creativity. And, you know, we use that word passion. And I spend a lot of time trying to get my students not to use the word passion or passionate, but actually a lot of teachers really are passionate. And so when that that passion, that engagement, that excitement for being in the classroom kind of drips away, as you say, quite gradually, you, you sometimes find that all that you're left with are what you perceive to be the negative elements of the job. And all the positives are very easy to overlook. I think for me, it was, it was kind of when I was juggling lots of different aspects of, of different roles within a school. And you end up not doing anything brilliantly well. At least that's how I found it. Like you, I would just about be able to plan my lessons or I'd just about be able to do the work that I needed to do as a part of the leadership team. Or I'd, I'd just about be able to fulfill my commitments as a, a pastorally. To, to the students you know or I, I nearly just about be able to do things but that running from one thing to another thing and never quite getting all of them done led me to kind of feel a bit disenchanted by my ability to do anything and I think I was doing lots of things well I just didn't feel like I was doing lots of things well I think as well it was really easy for me at least to become very blind to the impact I had I think I began to feel as though I was on a bit of a treadmill I was doing the same things over and over again, year upon year or term upon term or even day to day. And because I'd stopped seeing the benefit of them, I stopped thinking they had any value. And of course they had value. Like, Of course, I was surrounded by, by colleagues and by students who benefited every day from what I did. But I think if you stop seeing that or you don't allow yourself to or however that happens, it becomes almost impossible for you to feel as though your passion is something that you can contain. That's really where, again, it's about time, isn't it? You don't always have the time to reflect on why 
you're not feeling passionate about something because probably the reason you're not feeling so passionate is you haven't got the time to do everything. It's a bit of a vicious circle. Yeah, I think feeding onto the vicious circle, saying that you had lots of jobs on the go and not feeling like you're doing all of them particularly well, chances are it's also because you then said, I'm losing my mojo a little bit with this particular subject or I want a different job role because every career has different paths you can take and sometimes we want to change within teaching and then you feel like, cool, that'll get me back, that'll make me feel like I'm I'm got a new challenge I'm ready to do something different and you're trying to feed the, the lack of passion the lack of mojo and yet all of a sudden because you've taken on a new role it then starts squeezing you in different places and it's that for me is a vicious circle in itself because you're trying so hard to see a different perspective or to try a new thing within your school or within a different job role and it's making you feel like you're not doing enough when you're doing plenty, but it might be something new to you, or it might be that you have to learn how to balance it against the other parts of your teaching commitments. And that's really hard to do if you don't have someone that you can sound off to or have a little bit of time, like you said, to reflect on where your time and your energies need to go in your day. There's a lot of truth in the idea that the more you seek external validation, the less internal validation you bring yourself, right? So yeah, I think you're probably true in that sense that like I would find myself layered up with four or five different roles or jobs or areas of responsibility because I really wanted to make a difference. But what I really didn't know how to do was sort of make a difference within me. I was just thinking outwardly and not inwardly. And that's an important uh, lesson for a lot of teachers. I also just wonder whether or not for a lot of teachers that the most obvious aspect of the whole losing passion is that you go into teaching with a desire to have a transformatory impact on all of those children in that room. And you kind of go in there thinking of yourself as a bit of a hero, like you're going to save these children from a poor education or, or however you subconsciously, most of the time I think of it, that, that the passion is in our interest in passing along our knowledge about our subject. And very quickly, teachers often discover that actually that's not the primary aspect of the job. Um, there are so many other parts of the job that come into play that actually the thing that you're passionate about and that drives your interest is is way, 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 way down the list uh, when it comes to actually the things you do in the room. Like I, I went into teaching because I really enjoyed sharing my subject with young people. I, I knew in my bones that I was really attached to my discipline, but I also wanted to inspire new people into that realm. You know, that, that's not uncommon. And I have done that, like 100%. I know that there are students out there who I've worked with in years gone by and they're out in the world and they're doing great things. And that's an, an endless source of pride. But it doesn't feel enough at the time because, again, maybe you're too busy to, to really share in their successes and get the validation of that. But most of the time, I think teachers just feel actually there's so much other nonsense I've got to get through that my subject is way, way, way down. Is that something that resonates with you? Or do you think there's another, there's another big area that teachers might, might be focused on when it comes to just that lack of zing and motivation? I think sometimes it also depends on, on time as well. I certainly feel like I've done my fair share of swapping schemes of work over, fancy doing something new, a little bit of a change. And that in the hope that I will find my love for a, a different part or a different aspect of my subject. But, you know, after nearly a decade, I feel like 
my passion is still there. I love my subject and I get revitalized by, as you said, the students doing it or, you know, doing the same thing I did with a year group last year and seeing someone go, oh, oh, I really liked this. I had that with a year nine set this week. They seem to be really engaged with the topic we're doing. And, and it was really nice to remember, oh, oh, I remember why people like this one now. But if you haven't been able to have the opportunity to move into something like you said, that might be a little way down the list that you want to experience a bit more of in your teaching day and you can't, that can be really, really stressful and upsetting, actually. And it becomes a kind of pressure, at least it did for me. I felt it physically as a pressure that partly the lack of being happy and passionate and excited anymore, but also the pressure of all those external things. So almost every teacher is squeezed from above, from the side, from below, you know, you are like a little, little orange getting squidged in a juicer, like the whole time. And all that's coming out there is your energy and your commitment. And it's easy to feel that kind of pressure about stuff. There's, it's easy to feel like you're not spending time developing the relationships that you need to spend time developing. I particularly began to get resentful about the amount of time everything was taking of my own time when I wasn't in school. And I felt like I'd kind of got myself in a bit of a trap about that. But it, that took away my passion because you can, you know, maybe with one or two exceptions in the world, you can't be literally be passionate about something 24, seven, seven days a week. You know, it's, that's impossible. You need time of doing something else. And teachers don't always get that if they've built this kind of persona of expert, of extraordinary, you know, professional person. Sometimes it's just not going to happen for them. And it makes your priorities unclear and there's just no end to it. I think that's the other the other big thing with losing passion before we get on to like how we might fix that is that because there's never an end point, you can't think to yourself, well, I'll be able to be passionate again in June or I'll get Rojo back in April because why would you? There's no tangible fixed points where that's going to get better for you, which kind of led me to realize that actually the only way to make that better is not to look outside myself, but really to concentrate on how I am going to make it better for me. I realized that there, there's kind of no one coming to save me from this. Then I kind of thought, actually, it's, I can either be miserable for the rest of my career or not have a career or sort myself out a little bit and find ways to be positive and get my mojo back. Yeah, absolutely. And that resentment thing is a real issue that we need to cover and hopefully our strategies will help that. And just to caveat that, you know, passion can be wanting to do the same thing every day. You know, we've talked about how our how priorities have changed or what types of things we're interested in with on our teaching day. But I know there's a lot of teachers too who are really content in the role that they're in, but feel squeezed by the place they're working in or by their colleagues or someone else in the department wanting a different career progression, you might feel like you're stopping them by having the role that you do. And that I think is a real big issue within teaching, especially people who have been teaching a long time, um, who don't feel valued either when actually day in, day out, they deliver excellent provisions for kids and they don't feel like what they do is respected when actually their passion is to teach those kids every day in a subject that they adore. And it's okay to not want to be a different role in the school and you want to be that teacher. And we don't want to squeeze people like that out. Yeah. It's so easy to see the toll that something takes and not the benefit that it brings. Um, yeah, absolutely. So we've been saying it's about us internally, 
So we need to think about some strategies that can help us think about what we have, what we do day to day, and how to remember that it's all about us. Because we're allowed to be selfish sometimes as teachers. And it's got to make sure that it puts impact back on you, brings your passion back and keeps you motivated rather than everybody else externally. It's not about them. Deeply about you on this one. Yeah, this is a very kind of egocentric one, isn't it? Weirdly, this is the strategy that I struggled most with because it was least naturally attuned to the kind of person that I am. But equally, it's the one that brings the most benefits. And that's the idea of actively celebrating your success and your value, remembering the impact that you have and marking it and really being clear about it and enjoying it, reveling in it, communicating it to people, shouting from the rooftops. You know, we're not always very good as teachers at saying how well we've done or sharing the huge successes, partly because we don't always think of them as ours. We think of them as our students' successes, and partly because in many respects, quite rightly, we have got into a culture with teaching of not really kind of staying in touch with students or, or connecting with students outside of school for many, many sensible reasons. But it makes it hard sometimes to, to share and celebrate. Um, but that would be the first, the first big strategy is just to, to remember the impact you have and to find ways to publicly celebrate and share it. Um, I know you've got, you've got, Rebecca, you've got like a, a pin board with, with things on. Is that ah, one? yes. My pin board of, uh, my pin board of love. Yeah. I think I remember opening, I'm not, I know I wasn't being sneaky. We had a filing cabinet in our shared office and the top drawer was crammed, David, full of thank you cards and letters from previous things we'd done and posters and bits and bobs that all had messages from kids on them. And they were in a filing cabinet because I definitely felt when I first started that I didn't want to put them everywhere. And so I kind of did what yours did. They kind of popped in and I kind of saw them as like the department's thank yous. They weren't mine. They weren't yours. I just went, oh, I'll just pop them behind his, just pop them away. So I changed my, my pin board to just every thank you card I could fit on for a bit. And it's right next to my desk and I love looking at it and I don't care what it looks like when people go into the office, but I think it brings happiness. Whether you want to read them or whether I have a couple that I just open up and read periodically or even just sporadically when I'm having a bit of a, a down day. I don't care if people walk in and go, cool, cocky much? No, do you know what? I got them for a reason and every, every card has meaning. And there's nothing wrong with being able to look at those. And actually, I've had a person comment on them as they walk past having a look around the school because uh, our door was open and they can see them. And she said it was lovely. Just a, a parent saying, well, that's lovely. Isn't that nice to see? And you're like, yeah, yeah, it is actually because it just fills this place with a smile, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's what it does. It's a positive hit every single morning when you walk into your office. It's a, it's a hit of positivity for every student that comes into your office because they see themselves in those cards as well. They go, okay, this teacher is one that I can, I can depend on, I can trust. I know he's going to get me where I need to go. I know I can build a relationship with because look at all these other people that have had this marvelous experience with this teacher as well. And that's crucial, I think. And I don't think you can underestimate 
how much your environment impacts on your well-being. And, you know, if you go into your office and you sit at your desk and on your whiteboard or a list of jobs that you have to do, a list of issues that you're having to deal with, and let's, for argument's sake, say a list of complaints you're trying to manage, you know, if it's all doom and gloom negative stuff on your pinboard, that's your day. That's, that's your world. You know, your world is defined by the environment in which you are in that moment. So if your pinball absolute explosion of positivity and it reinforces your value in the world as a teacher, then you're, you're already winning the day, I think. And I think if someone else thinks it's, sh it's showing off, well, A, so what? Does that really matter that if, what someone else thinks if it's helping you? And B, maybe they need to take a leaf out of your book. Whether that means put themselves in a position where they get a few more thank yous from students or celebrate and share them because I think it's really a crucial thing. And if you're kind of working in the sort of environment where retention and recruitment of students is paramount, then what better advert for you? I mean, I'm not saying, you know, at an open evening, have all your thank you cards on your table while you're talking to people. But as you say, if people are walking around and can see your environment, how great to get that sense of having a shot in the arm and to confirm your status and your value. I think that's it's great. Absolutely. I have a tiny little space left because they might have they might have exploded a little bit. And the space left has I get a different note from some kids that like to hang out in the corridor outside my office. <laughs> because they choose to. They like it there. It's happy there. I trip over their feet, but they often have sweets. So I don't mind. I always get a sweet in return for a little trip over. Um and actually they wrote that that I was awesome and just put that Mrs. H was great. And I haven't rubbed it out. So it stayed there unless they change it, which makes me chuckle. And they did it to my colleagues one too. So they left us both a little note when we weren't very well and I haven't rubbed it out since. It was really cute. Uh, so it's there too in, in the moment as well as things I look back on. But yeah, I often also think of the sofa that's in my space too. I know it sounds really silly, but we redecorated and having a little sofa and a little snug space meant that it could be just a place where people could feel they could have conversations or it was like we said welcoming and although I'm very lucky to have an office and a shared space where I can have those conversations and those moments kids know that it's there for them and and that impact for me is really tangible when someone says can I come and talk to you it's really special to be someone's person but that's profound and it's simple for us to say that sort of stuff and it sounds negligible, but it's actually the stuff of life. It's actually one human being engaging with another human being in a meaningful way and generating value out of that. And it doesn't get better than that. That is your job as a teacher is to trip over someone in the corridor and they give you a sweet and they write you a little note. I mean, that's the greatest thing, you know, because they're seeing you and you are seeing them and you're both present in the world and you're looking after each other. And that's teaching. So that I find a really powerful way of just keeping hold of your passion. The other, the other thing that I've discovered is that, and I alluded to this earlier, is staying in touch with people after they leave your school is becoming increasingly important to me the older I get. And that's students and staff, but I'm thinking with a student hat on. Of course, I don't stay in touch with everybody 
that would be nuts. But I do make an effort to stay in touch with the few people with whom I've developed the kind of relationship that feels right to stay in touch with them. I don't, I don't immediately go, well, I can't stay in touch. I don't go, oh, they wouldn't want to stay in touch with me, so I won't push it, you know. But there's a number of ex-students who are now very happily into their adult lives, chugging away and doing great things, who I stay in touch with. And it's not because I want to be thinking constantly, oh, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't be where they are, because I don't believe that for a second. I want to stay in touch with them because knowing that they are doing wonderful things, enjoying life, they are using skills that perhaps I had a hand in teaching, but are going on to do great things. That fires me up to get up tomorrow. That means that I can get up in the morning, I can go to work, I can deal with everything that comes my way because I know that in five, six, 10, 15 years time, I'm going to be tracking one of the one or two of these kids and knowing how they're doing and it's going to be worthwhile. And as a motivational force, that plays a big part, I think, in keeping me on the track. Seeing what people can become is incredibly awe-inspiring and warming and comforting. And as you said, it doesn't have to be about what you taught them. It's knowing that they're living their successes and being their authentic self and that you can enjoy that there was a part of their life that you got to be a part of and see not just, you know, inspire or encourage or motivate any or teach, but you're just part of, of their, their journey. And that's really beautiful. Because you end up as a teacher on a, on a cycle, inevitably. I'm working in FE now, so I'm kind of on a two-year cycle. I'll see, I'll see students for two years and then they'll go. Uh, other teachers are in a five-year cycle, some are on a seven-year cycle, you know. Well, we're all on a cycle and those kids are going to arrive with us, spend time with us, and they're going to go. And unless you see the outcome, of that intangible way, then it becomes work. It becomes repetitious work. The stories I used to hear about people on car assembly lines in the 50s and 60s who would spend all their day attaching one piece of the car to another piece of the car, but never saw the, the actual car. And I feel a little bit like that sometimes with teaching. Like you put all the work in, you put all the pieces together, but you never see them drive away. And that's so intrinsically valuable for, for well-being that I can't overstate it enough, so I'll stop. But that's kind of how I feel. I like looking back as well as forward sometimes. You know, when kids come around with a lanyard because they've, they've come to visit and they might have been gone a year or, yeah. or two, three, or just, you know, the summer. And they're like, God, it's been a long time. I'm so old now. I had some come in over the autumn term and decided to reminisce about my year eight English classes. Now they're 19. <laughs> Saying, oh, don't you remember when? Don't you remember when? And of course, some of the bits I went, oh, God, yeah, I do remember that. I was very new and it was very embarrassing. And I can't believe that's how my lessons used to go. Or just a funny moment that they've never forgotten. But it means that if it's something that I, I still even, I might teach something similar now or I might have a kid that is a bit like them now it reminds me that in that moment that I'm still doing something that I love and I'm still going to have somebody that will come back and reminisce about something silly that happened to them it's lovely to see that they remember little points about your lessons that you'd forgotten about and that when you're reminded they bring back some really interesting moments or maybe some interesting teaching strategies and choices that you maybe might not employ now.
Yeah, it's, that's all just part of life, isn't it? That we're never the same twice. Every day is different. We learn, they learn, we learn, we all grow. But how lovely that you've stayed in their hearts, you know, stayed in their minds. The very worst thing about that, before we get to our second point, is when they go, hello, Mr. So-and-so, and you recognize them, but you cannot think of their name. And you spent seven years teaching them. And <laughs> you just go, yeah, don't, hello, how are you? How lovely to see you. Those are the moments where I just go, oh, I wish I had a better memory. But there you are. I'm looking forward to when I have students that have had children. I'm not at that point in my career yet, but I have worked with a teacher of mine uh, last academic year from 2002. And I remember her having her children and she remembers me age 12. <laughs> and uh, it was just nice to be able to go, I'm a fully formed human now. And look, I've made one of my own too. And it's again, it's just letting people in your life and you don't give everything away as a teacher, but being able to share and some mutual life experiences with each other, with someone that knew you when you were younger is a really lovely thing to be able to do. And actually kids do want to know what you're like as a person. And I love finding out what type of people they become too. It's a, while you were talking, it made me think that really what this is all about is community. And it's about generating opportunities for yourself to be authentically you within the community that supports you. Whether that's going, look at this amazing card I got, I'm great. Or whether it's those conversations with kids from a decade ago, it's be authentically you and not be a masked up teacher and it's share those with the community, which implies also receiving th that information from other people, from other colleagues and celebrating forum with them too. I think that's a big part of when we lose our passion is that we just see ourselves as these little kind of cog whirring robots in individual rooms, churning out students, spending more time on paperwork than perhaps teaching. And we zoom out and we see every other member of staff as the same in their own little rooms and we just feel disconnected. But I think as soon as we're, we're sharing and celebrating and being authentic, a whole different world of passion can open up. Absolutely. Love that. I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a favour. We know that teachers around the world enjoy this podcast and we're proud to offer ongoing support and actual advice to educators worldwide. If you're one of those teachers and you haven't already liked and subscribed to the podcast, then please take a moment now, if you can, to do just that. It makes a huge difference to our reach and it helps us keep this podcast free so more teachers can become part of the Marigold community. From both of us, thank you. Right, should we get back to today's episode? Okay, so second strategy, David, is we're talking about what we have for our subject, like our passion returning and reconnecting in the subject we teach. I think that might be easier for some people than others, depending on maybe what you teach or even what level you teach at. because the higher up the education stages you go, obviously you're going to end up talking in more depth about some of your subject content than others. So I think some people who maybe don't get a chance to share all the things they love about their subject because of maybe the age range they teach, uh, makes it a little bit more difficult to uh, reconnect sometimes. I agree. And I think that when you are genuinely interested in and engaged with a subject, and that could be whether you're a scientist or a geographer or an artist or whatever your specialism is, assuming that that's, that's kind of the, the sector you're in. I think that two or three things happen. First of all, you feel as though you want to inspire others with your subject. You feel as though you're constantly battling with the idea that 
I should be doing this thing in a different context. Like if I'm a geographer, why am I not a, a botanist in Peru? Why am I teaching in, in a school in England or whatever? You know, you always feel a little bit as though you're at the mercy of that terrible old adage of if you can do, if you can't teach. So it's a double-edged. I also think the third thing is that your interest in your discipline becomes solely defined by the curriculum that you teach very, very quickly. And because it's such a demanding job, you stop seeing beyond it. So for me, I do a lot of my discipline through the day. That's all I teach. I teach my discipline. And it's not enough for me. I need to keep a little bit of time for me to explore that sector of performing arts on my own as well. And that's the key bit for me. So now I will spend my day teaching various performing arts disciplines, and then I'll go home and I'll read an actor's biography. Or I'll go home and I will do some creative writing. Or I'll go to the theatre at the weekend. I'll do a bit more of it, but not because I'm trying to do some research for a project at school. For me, because I've got to acknowledge that I have got to keep deep in the, the contemporary world of my subject. But it's got to be for me and not for school. And if I do that, inevitably, there will be lovely benefits for when I go to school. I'll have a wider range of reference. I'll have more skills and knowledge. That's all fine. But it's not for them. It's for me. And that's the first part for me of this, of this strategy is just that sense of because it's so easy to lose what you love when you do it every day, I've got to find other avenues uh, that keep me interested. So um, going to the theatre next week just to go and see something which is completely outside of the, the realms of what I'm teaching. I'm really excited about that. And I haven't been for a few years. It became a drag, you know, but I'm really keen and looking forward to it. So that's, that's a really nice example of how I try and keep hold of my kind of passion for my subjects. I was having the same issue. We shared that we both work within drama and performing arts. And I had the same thing when I realized I was hitting a bit of a wall and my mojo was going, people were coming to see me and saying, oh my goodness, have you seen this at the theatre recently? Or what have you seen? And I was struggling to say what I'd gone to unless it had been a school trip. Or I was recommending things online that people should watch and then realised I hadn't recommended myself anything. So I do make a conscious effort now to have a little peruse through things I can get, get my hands on and watch. And I'll remember why I enjoy doing that. Yeah, for sure. And things like industry publications, podcasts, websites that, that you know that there are so many ways now where whatever your discipline is if you're a chemist great there are so many ways to stay engaged with your subject that don't take up very much of your time and if, if we can just get over that barrier of oh my goodness i can't do any i've been doing it all week i can't do any more now i need a break i need to go and horse ride or whatever that would never be me but you know what i mean like if we can get over that barrier then actually the whole world opens up and how joyful to be able to just have the scope to indulge in your passion. Absolutely. And I would throw it out there that don't be afraid to ask your school to have, you know, we all want to do professional development, really love doing it. You know, we offer to go, oh, I'll go and look in that school or I'll go and see my friend who's a teacher or I'll go and see somebody who teaches the same qualification as me or exam board as me. But there's no harm in saying, actually, you know, a little drive down the road is a company that does this or someone that works in your field and actually do you want to go and spend a day with them i've just found someone who works in music production and the performing arts and he wanted to get out a little bit more and understand what what schools do to teach performing arts and although music's not my thing actually i'd love to go and see what his studio looks like and and it's an industry-based thing it's not a teaching-based thing for me 
So I just want to go and see how all the bells and whistles work and what all the buttons do. And that's going to, you know, fire me back up in terms of what I enjoy learning. And the more we search for those things outside of our schools, the more effort we put into that mission, the more we're going to learn anyway. The more we're going to understand about the wider community that we're living in, the more we're going to understand about the directions that our discipline is going outside of the, the boundaries of our very little curriculum. That's intrinsically valuable in itself. Although we've said, let's go out and find out more about our subjects and revitalize ourselves and the bits about it that we've forgotten or that we love or just having a little bit of time to do it that's not based around school. Sometimes we like to do the opposite and just find something that we like. It doesn't have to be in your subject. So I joined a band. I would describe it as an old man band. They won't mind. Uh, and we've even done a little gig and we can't meet very often. But do you know what? I committed to that band and I say when I'm free and I'm going to rearrange something to do it. And I did it on Thursday, actually. And it was lush. David, have you put anything out there that you, you wanted to desperately do? I know you've got some things that you enjoy doing, but haven't had the opportunity to do. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that leaving everything at school behind and going and doing something else means that when you come back to it, you're revitalized. There's the hundred percent. I've joined various bands in my life. Definitely. I've got involved with a, a, a number of different kinds of brass bands. I have to brass instruments for years and years and years. Used to be the drummer in a rock band. Whoop. So I've done various things like that. I also, I, I tend to be drawn to the creative collaborative stuff. I've got involved with Amdram in the last couple of years. I've kind of got involved with kind of like bonsai growing clubs, like just little things where I just find different ways of connecting with new people. Because I, I think that's at the core of what revitalizes me and allows me to go back and be passionate is meeting a whole new bunch of people who aren't teachers, who never maybe set foot in a school since they left when they were a kid and have a totally different life experience and worldview to me. And getting out of the echo chamber of teachers talking to teachers is really, really freeing. And sometimes that's because you realize that the problems that teachers are talking about are perhaps not all there is in the world. There are other problems to talk about. Sometimes because when you just so desperately want to get back to that community that knows you so well and actually talk sense, you know, it kind of works both ways, really, for me. I found lately it's little things like painting that have started to kind of become of interest to me where they haven't really ever been of interest to me before. and. Again, I think that's got a little bit to do with the fact that because I've recently started in a new school, in a new role, a lot of my energies have gone into making contacts and, and with colleagues and with students. And my social battery is pretty low when I get home. So actually a little bit of quiet time, and a little bit of painting and a little bit of reflection is my unwind. And I think we all need something like that in our lives. And the great tragedy, I think, is that so many teachers decide they haven't got time. And I don't mean to sound like patronizing or rude or insensitive because there will be teachers listening to this that say, well, I, I don't have time. There is no time. And I totally get that. But the way we think about time can change and there can be ways to bring yourself away from teaching in order to come back to it with a rekindled passion. And it, as long as it's active and it's not watching Netflix, as long as it's something that I heard, I heard someone say the other day that it's, you, it's better to be a creator than a consumer in, in every act of life. If you create more than you consume in any field, then you're in balance. 
like my daughter today, my daughter's made a whole batch of scones. As long as, as long as she creates more than she eats, than she consumes, it's all good. As long as I create more content online than I consume online, then that balance is going to be good. You know, it's a really lovely maxim. And that, that is the kind of attitude that will get you revitalized quite quickly. I like the sense of having to commit something. And actually in the Marxist way, it goes back to saying no, because you have to commit your time to something else. And I made my plans of what I needed to cover in the next week or so. And if I wanted to, I could spend all weekend doing the very large workload that I have got to cover. And I'm not, I'm not doing that. I joined, uh, I think I said it already, can't remember. I joined a badge club for grown-ups. Um, and there's a commitment to doing, you can do it whenever you like, but there's some things that have time limits on them. And there's some things that you just have to tick off that you've learned a bit more about. And so I've been able to try some other things from like, I did some stargazing. That was nice. Got a badge from my musicians for my band. But it's being able to learn something new. And I think as that for me has been a really big deal about giving myself some time back to try things I enjoy and that aren't linked to school because weirdly and uh you might think I'm mad for this one I'm quite reflective and I enjoy learning <laughs> and so I I had to learn I did code some code breaking I know uh, so I did some research as to what codes there were and then I had to try some out and then I left some messages and encrypted some things and I went to school thinking Oh, that was interesting to learn like that. Well, that was interesting to research that and realized that that was the bit about teaching. It was nothing to do with my lessons and nothing to do with the content or the subject. But I realized that I was a teacher because I like to learn and I like to explore how people learn. Like I'm a full pedagogy nerd. I realized that was a bit I liked sharing was, oh, I learned how to do this. And then I did it like this. And then I made a little scrapbook about it and everything. And it made me then go into school with a passion for learning that I think I forgot as well, that had That's nothing to do with work. Communicating that to the people that you're with. Mm -hmm. right? That's the thing, isn't it? And it's palpable in the way that you're talking about it, is that sense of, I've recognized in myself my love of learning. That's why I'm in teaching. That's my passion. It's not the subject. It's that it's the act of learning new things and sharing them. I've gone out, I've found something new, I've brought it back into the school community, and I'm passionate about sharing it. Right there, that right there is your model for life, isn't it, as a teacher? And that's why it's such an important aspect of keep, get, getting your passion back if you've lost it or keeping it if you haven't. And you talked about commitment there, like commitment to your band or commitment to going and doing something you've said you're going to do, like stargazing or whatever. Fundamentally, all that we're talking about is having a commitment to ourselves in some form or another. Right? It's... I mean, a commitment and accountability can be external, but really being committed to ourselves and accountable to ourselves and making that work is as good as it gets in this sense. And if we can do those things and bring ourselves closer every single day to the things that we adore and inspire that same adoration and sense of positivity in others, we can't fail to be passionate about our subject and our career. We're at the end of this week's episode, so thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support, and thank you for everything you do, day in and day out. We know that teaching can be tough, and it can be lonely, and it can be exhausting. So if no one else says it, thank you for being a teacher. 
You really are inspirational. If you enjoyed the episode, then you'll enjoy the next one too, right? So like and subscribe if you can. And you can also sign up to our weekly free newsletter, The Flourishing Teacher's Field Guide at marigoldteachers.com. It's packed full of tried and tested tips for teacher well-being. Until then, remember, your most important obligation isn't your classroom, it isn't your students, it's you. You're awesome and we want you to stay that way. We'll see you next time.